In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City Worship Podcast. Out of a desire to serve our community, love our neighbor, and care for those within our body of Christ who are most vulnerable, we are continuing our suspension of in-person worship for the time being. In the meantime, we gather via podcast and we listen wherever we are. And if we think about it, it is still such a powerful thing because we couldn't do this if Jesus weren't Lord. If Jesus weren't Lord, if he hadn't been crucified, resurrected, and ascended, then we would still be tied to a physical location for worship. And don't mishear me. I am eager and awaiting the day that we will get to gather together and see each other, and worship in the same room together. It's good for God's people to be together. But the way that we are able to survive in these times, the way that that God's people, the people of Jesus, have gotten through so many difficult situations throughout the centuries, is by recognizing that Jesus is Lord And wherever we are, we can recognize and acknowledge that lordship and the presence of Christ, and that we can be together through the power of the Holy Spirit. Two things I want to draw your attention to. One is something that we are calling BYOC, Bring Your Own Coffee. Uh, If you would like to have a cup of coffee with me or Melissa or both of us, then give the church an email, send the church an email at baptist.church at comcast.net, or you can call the church and uh, leave a voicemail if nobody answers. Uh, We do still answer the phone uh, Wednesday through Friday, 8.30 to noon, Um, but you can call the church and let us know that you would like to uh, have a cup of coffee with us, and we'll come and we'll sit in your yard or your driveway and Uh, an appropriate physical distance apart, and we'll bring our own coffee, and we'll we'll have some fellowship time together. Uh, Just let us know. But the big thing I want to talk about is One Church, One Book. Uh, This is something that we are starting. It's a first step of, of getting back together again, and it is gathering in small groups in people's neighborhoods. It's gathering in groups of Uh, six to eight people, and it's gathering physically distanced um, so that when we're an appropriate distance apart, we can take off our masks and and see each other's bright and smiling faces, Um, some of whom are are less bright and shining than others, and some of whom are more bright and shining than others. Um, But we will will be together. We will be talking about what God is doing in our midst, how the Lord is working in our life, and where we see the the kingdom of God coming into reality through our fellowship. Um, And also, we will be reading and studying a book. The book is called The Lord and His Prayer by N.T. Wright. Uh, There's more information about that in the uh, Friday email as well as I think we sent out an extra Wednesday email. And so if you want more information about that, check your email or send the church an email and we would be happy uh, to give you all of the information. 
Uh, we do need to know sooner than later, because the other thing that's going to be happening is I will be preaching about the Lord's Prayer for the next six weeks, starting next week. Uh, we'll just be taking it, it line by line, uh, or stanza by stanza, dividing it up, and uh, that's what our, our worship will be about. That's what the, uh, the neighborhood groups will be about. And then we're also encouraging people for six weeks, beginning September 1st, to pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's found in the book of Matthew chapter 6. It's also found in Luke chapter 11. And uh, you can pray it. And it's a way that Christians have prayed for centuries because Jesus' disciples went to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is the prayer that he gave us. So that's what's going on for September and October. And again, if you have any questions about it, call the church, send the church an email, connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. We are glad that you are worshiping with us today. We hope and pray that you are well, that you are aware of the presence and love of Christ as we worship together. And I am yours forever You are my strength God of grace and power And everything you hold in your hand Still you make time for me I can't understand and I praise you, God of earth and sky. How beautiful is your unfailing love. Unfailing love. And you never change, God. You remain the Holy One. And my unfailing love. Unfailing love. You are my rock. The one I hold on to You are my song And I sing for you And everything You hold in your hand Still you make time for me I can't understand And I praise you God of earth and sky how beautiful is your unfailing love, unfailing love. And you never change, God, you remain the Holy One. And my unfailing love, unfailing love. And I praise you, God of earth and sky. How beautiful is your unfailing love. Unfailing love And you never change, God You remain the Holy One And my unfailing love Unfailing love This morning is the fifth Sunday in the month of August And I don't know what it is about fifth Sundays but as long as I have been growing up in church, 
uh, churches have done something unique or, or different on Fifth Sundays. And I, so I thought, okay, well, let's, let's keep the unspoken tradition alive. And to that end, I thought we would engage in a, a spiritual practice uh, on this fifth Sunday in the month of August. And I thought, if we're going to start, if we're going to be paying attention to prayer for the next six weeks, what if we did something, if we practiced something that was a good intro to prayer? I think a lot of people struggle with prayer. I've never met anybody who, uh, who has not at some point in their life struggled with prayer, whether they, whether they felt like uh, they were too distracted or whether they felt like their, their words were, were going up only as high as their ceiling and then falling back down to earth, or if they just felt that it was dry or they didn't know what they were doing. So many Christians, so many people struggle with prayer. And so what's a way that we can enter into prayer, a, a good first step? Well, one way would be to consider breathing prayer or breath prayer. And let me explain. Breath on its own is a gift from God. Breath, so that means that breath is a prayer because a prayer is simply something that we offer to God. But it's something that God already has given us. And so as we breathe, we're breathing the air that God has given us to breathe. We're breathing with the life force, the, the animus, or, or however you want to call it, that God has put into our, our bodies so that our lungs can pump air in and out and our hearts can beat and we can function as, as human beings. And so breathing just comes naturally to us. And at some point in the church's history, people connected the command in the book of First Thessalonians to pray without ceasing to breathing. And I think that's brilliant because breathing, hopefully, is something that you are doing without ceasing. And if you are not breathing, please pause the podcast and call 911. You, you have my blessing to do this. But breathing, if we can train our, ourselves to make prayer as much of a, a part of our lives as breathing, then our whole life is a posture of prayer. And that's truly a beautiful way to live because then all of our life becomes an offering to God. All of our life becomes something that we are taking the life that God has given us and we're offering it back to God as service to the world. And so breathing prayer usually takes part of the inhale or the exhale of our breathing or both and turns it into prayer. And through breathing prayer, you can take words and phrases and thoughts and scripture and align it with your breathing so that as you breathe, you're praying. 
right now and in the past several months of, of world history, there's been a lot of anxiety. There's been a lot of nervousness. Uh, there's been a lot of anger, frustration. You know, besides COVID, um, we've become aware of, more aware of the pain um, that, that people with, with brown skin uh, have in our country, and there have been all sorts of, of different demonstrations and opinions and things like that. And, and you know, some people agree and some people disagree. And, and so there's been a lot of disagreement and a lot of anger and a lot of division. And sometimes I think we just need to breathe. And that's what breathing prayer can do for us, is when we're anxious, when we're angry, when we're, when we're uncertain, and we can't think of anything else, we turn our breathing over to God. And so to that end, I want to offer three simple ways to do this. Now, I'll, I'll also give my disclaimer that I, I give whenever I lead spiritual practices, is this may not be the thing for you. This may not connect with you. This, this might not be like the biggest life revelation you've ever had. But, it's, but give it a shot. Like at least try it out. Give it a week. If, if it's not a thing for you in a week, that's okay. You don't, you know, there, there are other ways to pray. Our first prayer practice comes to us from the Old Testament and specifically from the Psalms. And this might take a little bit longer uh, as far as an intro to breathing prayer, but bear with me for a second. Is think about the 23rd Psalm. Uh, it's one that uh, has been used as comfort and, uh, and consolation. It's been read at, uh, at bedsides and at funerals, but also in times when people just need to be reminded that the Lord is with us. And so when you think about the 23rd Psalm, you can breathe in as you're saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and breathe out as you say, I shall not be in want. And so as you read a line, and obviously you're going to be doing this silently because it's really difficult to talk while you're breathing in, uh, you, you breathe in as you're reading a line and breathe out as you're reading a line. Or if you really want to slow it down, inhale and exhale with one line and just take your time with it. Because the Psalms are some of the most honest pieces of literature in the whole Bible. It is, it is raw emotion, both rejoicing and praise and sorrow and lament and then violent anger sometimes, all expressed to the God who is capable of bearing human emotions. And so we can take that to him in prayer through the Psalms. Another way that we can practice breathing prayer is through something that's known as the Jesus prayer. And the Jesus prayer is a very, very old prayer um, that Christians have prayed in one version of another over centuries. But it goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as you're saying that, breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, 
Son of God, exhale. Have mercy on me, inhale. A sinner, exhale. And so within two full breaths in and out, you have prayed this prayer that acknowledges who Jesus is, that acknowledges our need for Jesus, acknowledges the mercy of Christ, and puts us in a right position with Jesus. And so you can say that in your breath over and over, and as you get that into your body, your whole life is a recognition of who Jesus is and who we are and Jesus' mercy and our need for Jesus' mercy, and it just goes over and over. The last one I'll offer to you this morning is one that's a little bit more geared towards anxiety and worry. If you're, if you're somebody who's anxious, if you're somebody who worries, um, this, one, this one may be well-suited for you. And breathe in while acknowledging Jesus is Lord. Uh, because that's one of the earliest Christian confessions is Jesus is Lord. But it also added on and Caesar is not. And so it was an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord and that something else is not. And so if you are worrying, you can breathe in saying Jesus is Lord and breathe out saying worry is not. If you're afraid, breathe in, Jesus is Lord. Breathe out, worry is not or fear is not. If you're angry to the point where you have hatred of somebody, breathe in. Jesus is Lord, breathe out, hatred is not. And you can use this for anything that, that is challenging the lordship of, your, of Christ in your life. And so all of these breath prayers, all of these breathing prayers, are designed to help us pray without ceasing, to help this exist in the background of our lives. But there are also things that we can use as an entrance to, further, to a further life of prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit and to pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who teaches us to pray, who hears us when we pray, and who loves all of our stumbling, bumbling efforts to pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we bow before you and acknowledge you as King of the universe. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. Be with us today as we worship you in prayer, praise, and song. Lord, I thank you for grace. I pray that we may move beyond the hurdles that trip us up and give us the strength and wisdom to look up and see the hope we run toward in Christ. Our hearts are filled with chaos and confusion with all that is happening during these times in our life. We at times feel as if we are drowning in our circumstances and our hearts are filled with fear and confusion. We really need the strength and peace that only you can give. 
Let us choose at this moment to rest in you, Jesus. I lift up to you the prayer requests that we have in our church family. I pray for those who have illnesses, those in chemotherapy, those who have friends and family that they are concerned about, and for those who are discouraged or frightened about what is going on at this time. Lord, I thank you for your greatness. Thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. Give us the measure of your strength so that we might not give into discouragement. Help those who are going through a trial at this time to look to you. My prayer is for all who are suffering to remain strong in the Lord, for he is with you always. I pray for the young church and I lift up to you their prayer requests. You know what they are. Help them to keep focused on you and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as he directs their lives. Lord, I thank you for answered prayer. Be with those who are continuing to recover from sickness and with those who have felt the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Lord, I pray for our upcoming One Church, One Book group discussions. Help us to meet together in love as we discuss how the prayer that you gave us to pray affects our lives. My prayer is is that everyone who participates in the discussions will be blessed. Lord, I pray for missions and the missionaries around the world who are taking the gospel to those who desperately need to hear it. Many are in areas of great danger. Give them the courage to share the love of Jesus with those who need you. Lord, I pray for those who are affected by the natural disasters that are occurring in our country. In the West are massive wildfires, and in the South, hurricanes. I pray for those who have lost all that they own and don't know what to do. I pray they put their hope and faith in you. Be with the first responders who are trying to meet their needs. I ask that you protect them and keep them safe. And Lord, I lift up the teachers and the school staff to you. Shortly they will be back teaching their students via um, um, computer. I forgot what the term is. I ask that you be with them as they prepare their lessons for their students and that their love for you, Jesus, will shine forth as they minister to the kids that they serve. Be with our pastor today as he continues with his series, Women in the Bible. Open our ears and our hearts to receive the words that he has for us. Help us to not only hear, but also put his words into practice. As the podcast is broadcast over the virtual airways, may it be a blessing to all those who hear it, wherever they may be. In closing, I would like to pray a word of encouragement for those who may need it. Sometimes when life gets us down and we find it hard to see things to be thankful for, open your eyes and see the gifts you have been given in your life. Start thanking God for loving you enough to come to earth and die so we can live together forever. David in Psalms 9 verses 9 and 10 wrote, 
The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, have never abandoned anyone who searches for you. In your precious name I pray, amen. Our scripture for the morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And admittedly, this is not a, a passage of scripture that we usually look at as, uh, as sermon material or spend a, a great deal of time studying. But if we, if we spend a little time looking at the background of it, uh, there are lots of treasures that we can glean from it through the Holy Spirit. So here is Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Eugene Peterson was a Christian author, theologian, pastor, and Bible translator. Um, his prob- most famous work uh, is probably The Message. Uh, it's a Bible translation in, in kind of common everyday language. And Eugene Peterson wrote a book called The Pastor. And you can read it even if you're not a pastor. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good read. And the beginning of the book, it's, it's his autobiography in, in a lot of ways. And the beginning of the book talks about his earliest experience in the church. His mother was a traveling preacher in the hills of Montana. Uh, it's where he grew up. It's where he retired to. Uh, it's where he died either last year or the, the year before that. And his mom would take him with her as she would go and preach in all of these little backcountry hill churches all over the place. And he, he said he never remembered too many women at these, uh, at these gatherings, but it was mostly cowboys and farmers and, and miners and, and people who were kind of manual laborers, cattlemen, things like that. And she would go and she would do everything. She would lead the singing, she would preach, and he said, I, I remember you know, all of these old cowboys stomping their feet along to the hymns uh, as she would regale them with preaching from God's word and, and telling them Bible stories and things like that. Well, word got around that she was doing this, that she was going and, and preaching in all of these churches. And one individual, one Sunday evening, took it upon himself, <clears throat> took it upon himself to show up after the, after the service with an open Bible in his hand. And the Bible was open to the book of 1 Timothy. And it was open to the passage that says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. 
and the, the finger wag in the face of Eugene Peterson's mother was that she should not, as a woman, be preaching to men. And Eugene Peterson said her mother, his mother, never did that ever again. Sadly, that is the experience of so many women who feel called by God to serve in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to preach Christ crucified, but are shut out by the use of that verse. And if we study that verse, we find that it's being misused. If we study that verse, we find that it is dealing with a specific situation in a specific church and that it is not meant to exclude all women from having any authority within the church, but rather in one specific instance, it is meant for either one specific woman not to have authority. I do not permit that woman or a particular woman to have authority. Or it was a situation where women had not yet been trained in this church in the ways of Jesus. And so until they were trained in the ways of Jesus, they needed to wait to become teachers. But it has been pulled out of its context and used as a weapon. The Jesus movement, the, the church, whatever you want to call it, was the first movement of its time to put men and women on equal footing at the foot of the cross. And the communities that sprang out of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and, and then the, the event of Pentecost, were inclusive of women. Women did not have that social status in Greco-Roman culture. And so for churches and, and, and people to, to use verses like that one in 1 Timothy against women is patently wrong. And we have an example why here in Romans chapter 16. And it's this passage in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. If you read the whole passage, you don't just get Phoebe. You get several women, including a woman named Junia, who is considered equal with the apostles. She is on the same footing, Paul says, as the people who traveled with Jesus and walked with Jesus and fled when Jesus was arrested and who were there to see the resurrected Christ in person. He gives her this honor of the title of apostle. Biblical scholar Michael Byrd admits that it's this passage, Romans 16, 1 through 16, that changed his mind about women in ministry. And Phoebe was the reason why. Phoebe means tightness, which tells us she was a Gentile, because no self-respecting Jew would name their daughter after a Greek or Roman god. 
And so Phoebe was a Gentile believer, and she clearly was a woman of some wealth and status, and not inconsiderable wealth and status, in the town of Sincrea, which is east of Corinth and was the shipping port, the, the seaport, that Paul would have used any time he traveled to or from Corinth. And we, we hear that she, uh, that she is a deacon in this church. Now, deacon can mean servant, just, just the simple verbiage of servant, you know, one who serves. But in this context, it means that she is a leader in the church in Sincrea. But moreover, Phoebe is tasked with taking the letter from Paul to the church in Rome. This is what she, the responsibility that she has to do. Now, if your United States Postal Service mail delivery person were to show up at your house and say, hi, I'm your UPS delivery person, here's your mail, I'm going to open it and read it to you, we would find that to be a little unusual. That's just not what happened. But when somebody like Paul or somebody who was a, a scholar or a writer or a leader would send a letter from one place to another, if they used a messenger or a courier, or you know, they didn't take it themselves, that messenger or courier would be trained so that they could not just deliver it, but that they could read it, and that they could teach it, and that they could explain it and carry out any business that was going on in the letter. Phoebe isn't just somebody who has been given the menial task of taking a scroll or, or a bit of papyrus from one place to another. She bears the burden and responsibility of taking this letter as well as the teaching to Rome so that they can hear it in the way that Paul wanted it to be delivered. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight tells us that she would have spent time with Paul and with Gaius uh, and, and with Tertius, who, who wrote the letter, learning how Paul wanted different ways or different phrases uh, read and pronounced and said and everything else. Paul trusts Phoebe not just with any old letter. This is the book of Romans. Romans is one of the weightiest pieces of early Christian theology that we have. Romans is a thick, dense book that people argue over and get in disagreements about. Romans contains what I think is maybe one of the finest chapters in all of God's word, which is Romans chapter 8, which begins by telling us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, and ends by telling us a, a massive list of the things that cannot separate us from the love of God. And he doesn't give this to Timothy. He doesn't give this to Onesimus. He doesn't give this to Silas or Barnabas or Peter or anybody else. He gives this to Phoebe because he trusts this woman to bear his message. 
which is the message of the Holy Spirit. So he sends it with her. And as we consider that Phoebe took the book of Romans and taught it and answered questions about it, we also have to consider what does this mean for women in our time? Now, I have to say, in our church, in First Baptist Church of Oregon City, we have women in significant roles of leadership. We have women on our church council. We have women who are chairs of committees. We have women who do important, meaningful tasks within the church. And people who have come before me have obviously seen the tremendous value that women bring into the church. But it's not this way everywhere. And furthermore, despite the church starting off as a movement that gave men and women kind of equal footing, that got lost somewhere along the way. And the roles of women were diminished. And I think what we need to do as followers of Jesus, if we really want to be responsible to the Holy Spirit, even in a place and even in a church where things seem to be equal, where things seem to be a positive place for women to be and for, for the spiritual gifts of women to be used and recognized, we always have to be vigilant because somewhere along the way, between the time of Phoebe and now, the roles of women started to be di diminished in the church. And so what I, what I want to do today is look at three words that Paul uses to, to talk about Phoebe and consider what that means for our church today when it comes to women. The first word that he uses for Phoebe is sister. And sister implies a familial relationship. Paul is acknowledging that in Christ, we are now family. In Christ, Christ came and he came as a uh, a first century Jewish man, and he came within the tradition of Abraham and the patriarchs, and he came in the tradition of David and the line of David and the temple, and he was fully Jewish, and he came to fulfill God's promises to Israel, which was redemption for Israel, which was rescue for Israel, which was the restoration of Israel as a great people who would then share that blessing with the whole world. And by sharing that blessing with the whole world, we have become part of the family of Abraham, the, the, the very family of God. And so he calls Phoebe a sister, saying that in this new social arrangement in Christ, she isn't just the other, she isn't just a woman, she's a sister, she's part of his family, that they are on 
the same level together as part of the family. And as followers of Jesus, we need to treat each other as brother and sister. And I'm aware that that's a dicey example to use because families are not perfect and we don't always get along with our brothers and sisters. And sometimes we even have explosive relationships with our families or abusive relationships with our families. But the family of God is not a recognition of what we are, but a recognition of who Jesus is and who we are in light of Jesus and who we are, our brother and sister. Who we are are people who honor each other in love and who protect each other and look out for each other. And it's not just something where the men protect the women, but it's something where the women get to look out for the men as well. We need to be guarding each other's hearts. We need to be caring about each other. We need to be vulnerable to each other and allow both men and women alike to express strength and weakness, to express vulnerability, to express the highs and lows that come with life lived through Jesus Christ. Another word that Paul uses for Phoebe, is patron or patroness. And this one's a little interesting because it actually, in, in Roman society, puts Phoebe over Paul because Phoebe is funding what Paul does. She is obviously a person of considerable wealth. Uh, she is supporting the church in Sincrea. She is supporting Paul's journeys, uh, and she, she has the wealth to take this journey to Rome. And so in Roman culture, she would be looked at as patroness over Paul. But within the, the new social order of Jesus, within the, new, within the kingdom of God, we see that she is somebody who supports ministry and who gives the spark to ministry. And one way that we need to make sure that we are seeing women is as people who give spark to ministry. A lot of times in churches, sadly, and in, in, in the general world as well, women get relegated to roles as support staff. Women get pushed off as taking, you, you can take care of the children. And if that's the calling for a woman, that's fine. But we shouldn't just see women as supporting characters. We need to see women as the people who are the spark plugs for ministry. Every bit as much as we see men being the spark plugs for ministry. Because the Holy Spirit has obviously taken a hold of Phoebe. Phoebe, as a wealthy person, would have had societal expectations on her 
to use her wealth for the town of Sincrea and for projects in, in the town and, and everything like that. But instead, she is using it to empower and enable the word of God to spread throughout the known world through the church at Sincrea and through Paul. And this is how she is supporting ministry. And we should not simply see this as a background role, but see this where she could be doing anything else with her money, but she is offering it to the kingdom. The third, role, the third word that Paul uses and some people, in some translations, uh, it's deacon. Some translations, it's servant. But we're going to go with deacon. Because it meant that she was a leader in the local church at Sincrea. That she was responsible for the life that was going on. She was responsible for making sure that the poor within them were fed. She was responsible for making sure that if she wasn't proclaiming the word of God, that the word of God was proclaimed, that people were meeting, that everybody had what they needed. She was doing a role similar to deacons now. She was doing a role similar to pastors now. And it wasn't taken away from her. And maybe it was because of this, maybe it was because of her devotion and dedication that Paul selected her to take the letter to Rome. And here she is. Not just being the spark plug for ministry, but leading the ministry. Because the Holy Spirit does not do gender checks when we become followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't care if we are male or female. The Holy Spirit is interested in our faithfulness and our willingness to be used for God's purposes in this world. And so Paul picks Phoebe because Phoebe has shown that she is willing to be faithful. And to that end, we need to let women lead. We need to make sure that our attitudes towards women allow them to lead, that the doors of leadership are unlocked for women. Because while our church may be doing well with this now, it's very easy to lose our footing. It's very easy to follow patterns of the world that push women into the background. We have to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Because when we look at Phoebe, we see someone that Paul trusts implicitly, not just with a piece of, uh, with a document, but with the meaning and the teaching of his word and the leadership to be able to proclaim this word to the church in Rome. We need to be giving women 
the, the same opportunities as men to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, to proclaim God's word, to lead God's church in faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if Paul trusts Phoebe, then we can trust women who are clearly empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit. Last fall, there was a well-known Christian pastor who was asked to make a lightning-fast comment, a word association type comment about another female Christian speaker and author. And this woman's name was brought up and the, this well-known pastor, his response was, go home. And then he continued to talk about why women didn't belong in ministry leadership or in the pulpit. And I was horrified because in all of the churches that I've been a part of from my childhood, through my college years, through living in, in Illinois, and now, women have preached and, and spoken God's word powerfully and have loved in the name of Jesus and, and have, have supported the church and have done everything they could to make sure that the kingdom of God was being lived out through whatever church they were part of. And they were faithful. So what I would say to women in the church is go home. But not the way that this Christian pastor said. I say your home is in the church. Your home is where the Holy, wherever the Holy Spirit leads you women to serve. If, if your home is in the pulpit, then go home to the pulpit. If your home is in the mission field, go home to the mission field. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to compassion ministries, to bind up the brokenhearted, to reach out to those who, are, who have been left behind by society and are without food or without shelter or without love or are without mercy, then go home to the broken people of the world. If the Holy Spirit is leading you somewhere and you are a woman who is hearing this, then yes, please go home, but go home to the place where the Holy Spirit makes your heart come alive. And Lord, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we, as your church, not put roadblocks 
in the way of these women. May we not slam the door in these women's faces when they come home. Lord, may we recognize your Holy Spirit living, moving, active, and vibrant in men and women, young and old, because your prophet Joel told us in the Old Testament that in those last days you would pour out your Spirit amongst all flesh, that your manservants and your women servants would prophesy and that your young men and your young women would have dreams and it happened on Pentecost and Lord help us to have that Pentecost moment when we recognize your Holy Spirit in men and women alike and that we don't say go home but we say welcome home amen Hear the word of the Lord. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would help keep his promise. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang the song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Then Esther said, If it please the king, And if I have found favor with him, and if he thinks it is right, and if I am pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the order of Haman, who ordered that Jews throughout all the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? Afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, for whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. 
So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. On the Sabbath, we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This Thanks is the word of the God. Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.
everything Still more awesome than I know And all of you is more than enough for all of me For every thirst and every need You satisfy me with your love And all I have in you And all of you is more than enough for all of me for every thirst and every need you satisfy me with your love and all i have in you is more than Let's pray together. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as you forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We thank you for joining us for worship this morning. We pray that you felt a powerful sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as you heard the word of God proclaimed in song, in prayer, and through preaching, I'd like to thank Melissa Mellinger, our Director of Worship and Youth, for leading us in music. I'd like to thank Jim Leatherman, our church moderator, for leading us in prayer. I'd like to thank Katie Witham and the First Baptist Church readers for their creative scripture reading. And I'd like to thank Gary and Doreen Hunley, our audio engineers, for making everything sound good. Remember that uh, One Church, One Book will be starting next Sunday, so if you have not yet responded, please get those responses in. And also remember to love God, love your neighbor, wear your mask, and wash your hands. <laughs>